Welcome to The Problem, a Lockwood & Co. podcast. I'm Caitlin. I'm Alan. And this week we are talking about episode four, Sweet Dreams, which was directed by William McGregor and written by Ed Heim. Same as last week, I think. Yeah, I appreciate that because I only had to change the title in the show (laughs) notes. notes. Yeah, that was good. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Um, Just before we dive in, I wanted to circle back on something that we mentioned last week about Lucy's uh, cozy sweaters. Um, If you too out there appreciate and love her sweaters, there is an Instagram account that details where a lot of her fashion comes from if you want to be on the lookout for it. It's um, Ruby Stokes fashion on Instagram. Very easy to remember. Uh, But it will say like who the brand name for all the sweaters are. And if they're still available, which they're not really because they filmed in like 2021. Oh, but wow. if you're, if you want to be on the lookout for them on the resale market, it's, you don't really have to look for brand names and item names and that sort of thing. Yeah. You can just like, that's cool. You can dress like Ruby Stokes. I uh, mean, they're, they are brand name sweaters. So I yeah, would yeah, yeah. personally not ever spend that much on a sweater. <laughs> But if you can find them thrifting, like it's useful if you're the type of person who wants to look for things. It's useful to have all the information about them in one place. And that Instagram has it. Yeah, I really love her sweater. It's the, I think it's the same one that she like passed out in. Um, yeah, that I don't, she think, up in I don't in think George scene. and Lockwood changed her. Yeah, they did her. not change her clothes, thank God. So, <laughs> Yeah, the, the interesting thing about the... Um, Instagram that I just mentioned is that two of her sweaters, the costume department uh, altered to be crop sweaters. The originals are just normal length. So I guess they just decided that Lucy enjoys a nice crop. Maybe it's better when you're moving around ghost hunting. I don't know. I don't know. I just, that's a choice that they made. Yeah. All right, let's dive in. We we start with Lucy back in her bed, and we learn later that Lockwood and George brought her up there. Uh, and before we started our podcast, I sent you that meme or something that I found on Tumblr of Ross from Friends yelling pivot as they try mm-hmm. to get the couch up. And that's all I can see now is George <laughs> and Lockwood <laughs> pivoting her around the stairs from the basement. And it makes me laugh so much. I am 100% okay with them cutting out the wraith hunting. I am not okay that we did not get to see them, like, almost yeah, the, dropping Lucy. as The, the comedy hijinks. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> one of the... <laughs> I had one of the times where I was like, I'm going to be very romantic and, like, pick up my wife and carry her to the bedroom. And as I was going up the stairs the whole time, she was like, don't hit my head on the door. Don't, don't just like turn, turn like that. I was like, you are killing the mood, but it it is like a real problem. (laughs) I've mentioned this before, but every time I hear your wife, I'm like, oh, I understand so much. I too would be full of anxiety. (laughs) Yeah. Just about everything. Like, "Mm, I don't know about this. Let's never do this again. Yeah. It's, it's a hard it's a hard life living with me. Poor Lucy, though, had no control over. And she doesn't yeah. know how she got here. She just, like, wakes up in her room. And I wasn't sure when we started, because of the name of the episode, if this was a dream. Oh, yeah. I um, The first time I saw it, I was just binging through. 
So I didn't even mm-hmm. see the names of the episodes. There's uh, a note by <clears throat> the uh, the bed that says, drink me. With a glass of water. It's so cute. With a glass of water. Yeah. I love all these little touches because, of course, we just ended on an episode where George was saying that we have to take care of her. Yeah. And then there's all <laughs> these things where they've been trying to take care of her and they don't really know how. But that's fine because it's adorable. It's an effort. Yeah. <laughs> the... Um, I feel like this is also an Alice in Wonderland kind of reference. I thought that too, but I don't. And there's like a through the looking glass kind of thing with all of the mirrors. And of course, we have a magic mirror that's very that's important. True. The world is topsy-turvy and she's a female protagonist in a children aimed book. So there's like, I I appreciate the like little tip of the hat. It is also, like, it could just be as much as, like, Alice in Wonderland is so in the human, well, the English human consciousness that, yeah, like, Lockwood might have read it as a kid, you know, or watched a movie, or I don't know. Right. I don't know how how Disney exists in this world, but you know what I'm saying. So there's that. But there is a cool mirror shot in this episode, which it's been, like, two episodes since we got a cool mirror shot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So maybe. Speaking of referencing children's books though, I've always wondered if Stroud named her Lucy on purpose. I feel like you can't be writing an English children's book about a main character named Lucy who can hear and see things that other people can't without having Narnia in your mind. like Sure, yeah. Like Stroud must have been an English kid at some point who probably read the Narnia books. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're like, you know, a fixture in children's literature yeah. in the UK. Yeah. Even he, like I read them in my second grade class. Like our teacher read them to us. A hundred percent. So yeah. they're huge. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but you're probably... Exactly right. Yeah, I don't think there's any other parallels or anything. It's just a, I don't know. Why else would you name her Lucy? Yeah. I feel like you're specifically calling to that, and you. I feel like you would know that. That's cool. Uh, So she eventually makes her way down to the kitchen, and they did also leave out two pieces of bread for her. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Because she would be... She'd be too out of it to take the bread out of the bag, but they out trusted the her to use the toaster. <laughs> it is I love cu- it's cute, though. How messy the kitchen and, like, lived in it is. It's not, like, messy. It's not gross. But it's, like, there's people who live there. It's not, like, a perfect TV kitchen. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. That's really good. Cozy. Uh, and the open door of the basement beckons to her mm-hmm. um, ominously. And it, I love the camera work, the shot yes. composition and stuff. I I feel like whoever, like director or cinematographer was like, let's do some classic horror movie stuff here with the basement mm-hmm. and the slightly open door. And then with the toast, almost a jump scare at the end. Right. It's yep. Classic. It shakes her out of it. She's, yeah, she's drawn to the basement. And I think there, to speak of like classic horror movie stuff, I think there is like a classic kind of horror movie symbolism to like secrets or like monsters in the basement, like things are underneath 
the house that are like disquieting. And I think that's true for like Lockwood's, uh, you know, like locked up room mm-hmm. too, that where it's like a space in between him and Lucy literally in the house. Um, that's like a wedge in their relationship. Uh, that's like just interesting stuff that's like built in from the book and stuff. I, I just like, mm-hmm. I like symbolism, so I see it everywhere. It's good. I mean, I just went on a rant about how her name must be a Narnia reference. So we're <laughs> right. truly in our English class era here. And that's right. <laughs> the curtains are green because blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, so then George and Lockwood burst in uh, very upset and... I think Joe Cornish said in an interview that the wraith hunting scene was something that they had to cut for time and money. But honestly, I love this. This is so this is good. Great. Yeah, because it's yeah, it's it is from the book, but it's like it's compartmentalized into this thing that's like works so well. Yeah. And it it does all the same work that of what is happening in the book, I think. I I feel like we see this a lot in TV and movies that are adaptations mm-hmm. where the constraints somehow inspire the best creativity. Yeah. Yeah. They managed to keep all the good stuff. Yeah. And we get like some of Cameron Chapman's best comedic work here. <laughs> Even when he's like off camera and he's yes. just like yelling about stuff. Yeah. It's, it's really it's good. so good. <laughs> George is also good in like yep. his very autistic, fair assessment of the other team like they were amazing they saved our lives yeah and just (laughs) he won't show he knows but you know he knows it's so good it's so good and then just the the face and the timing and everything on you just want to watch him die it's Mm -hmm. i enjoy petty lockwood and the three of them just pull this scene off fabulously it's really good it's really good. It also like starts the theme in both the book and in this arc of like they're going to share space with the Kips team. Yeah. And how that's like a central conflict for Lockwood. It's a big part of his emotional arc over this, uh, I guess, like anime arc is what we're <laughs> calling these. The, the mirror know. arc. <laughs> the... the- what is this book called? The Whispering Skull arc. Yeah, 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 exactly. So this is like a, an important starting point for like, I want to watch Kips die <laughs> is like an important place to start Lockwood's yes. journey. Yep. Uh, but then after George and Lucy give him a look, he's just like, oh, long night. Sorry. Uh, please tell me there's tea. <laughs> Which I love because then we immediately cut to him bringing Lucy tea. <laughs> oh, true. That's true. Yeah. And They're back to taking care of her. I like it. And also, he's just so smitten. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's mm-hmm. just like, oh, you sit. I'll get you tea. Yes, I want to murder someone, but it's fine. <laughs> I'm feeling better already. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And we find out that <clears throat> she doesn't remember anything. About yeah. how she got to her room. She was asleep for 14 hours, George tells us. Yeah, this is an interesting change from the book. I guess they just mm-hmm. wanted it to be a bit more dramatic later. Yeah, I mean, when I hear that she slept for 14 hours, I was like, that sounds amazing. Like, 
I really want that. <laughs> well, talk to a ghost, and apparently that'll mess up your head so much that you'll pass yep. out for 14 hours. Who knew? Um, Gotta check my basement. Yeah, but in the book, she just, she like went down to the basement, heard the skull talk, and then that was it for months. And like yeah. she told them right away. I'm pretty sure that she heard the skull talk. Yeah, and they they tried to do things with it, but it came to nothing. And they had many other adventures, and then yeah, it then the book starts. So a lot of time passes, and there's not like it's a thing that happened in the past. Yeah, it's not so recent. I get like I get wanting to keep the momentum going for the show, and the characters are older in the show, so they don't need time to pass the way that it does in the books. Yeah, so yeah. that's fine. I think it's good though. Um, for like it fits together with other things that they're doing about like su- suppressing things mm-hmm. uh, and like emotional denial and like trauma and covering things up. So it like I don't know. It all works pretty well the way that they're doing it. Mm-hmm. I like the way they're in the kitchen and they have the early morning lighting coming in through the windows, and it just looks really cozy and nice. It was well done. It's good design there. Yeah, the lighting is is really great. I love how tired Lockwood is too. Yeah, um, and he's got his like dirty shirt on for the whole of the like interview with with the Sweet yeah. Dreams people coming up. <laughs> that's what. That's one of the things that I really appreciated about the show that I didn't. I guess I just wasn't imagining it so much in the book where they work all night long and then the adults wake up in the morning and it's like their time to like interact with their business side and Lockwood just doesn't get rest. Yeah. That's just a part of his life. He just doesn't get to sleep. Yeah. I'm sure that's a choice that he is making. But yes, uh, we get the doorbell happens and some adults show up, uh, a proper client. And Louise Brealey is here because we changed Joplin into a lady. I love Louise Brealey. So. She's from uh, Discovery of Witches, right? And Sherlock, yep. And Sherlock, yeah. Yeah, That's she's right. great. Right. And I love anytime I see her in a show, um, and Sherlock aside, she always ends up being kind of evil, but she is always dressed exactly how I wish I could dress. <laughs> and I'm not sure what that says about me. Oh, like, interesting. Yeah. I want to wear tweed and brown every day and look kind of. Like a well-put-together librarian, like a well-put-together messy librarian. <laughs> but also, I never leave my house, so I'm mostly just dressed like a gremlin. So, Yeah, yeah super comfortable. <laughs> yeah. I am wearing $400 shoes right now, but I have a wedding to go to, so I oh. have to break them in. Oh, smart. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. I would break them in at the wedding. No, no. Which breaks me in. Yeah. Yeah. That's not good. Uh, but yeah, this is Sweet Dreams Excavation. Yeah, I love this bit of world building that happens. There's like an entire industry that has to exist to kind of secure graveyards, which are like the biggest site of hauntings and things. Is that what's going on? That they're just trying to secure the graveyard? There's a really fast and you miss it kind of world building thing here. And it comes straight from the book. And I think this is so genius on Stroud's part. And they play it just right here Mm -hmm. in the show where there's a new 
regulation that's either DPRAC or like some element in the government has said that like, hey, graveyards are a problem, right? We know where the dead people come from. Right. And so we need to like go in and secure problematic graves. Thing is, we're not willing to pay for every last grave to be secured. So that creates a market for of graves that have value, you know, that are going to be recompensed by the government to these excavation people to be secured. But the thing is, you can't just say like that creates an incentive to say that like, well, every grave, right, you know, yeah. that grave and that grave. So they need to be verified. Well, who's going to verify them? Children at the risk of their own lives. Right. Yeah. Which means that someone was like, well, it's worth it to save money on. We could secure all of them in the daylight 100% safely, but instead we're going <laughs> to use the lives of children to save some pennies here for the taxpayer. Interesting. I guess I always thought that Sweet Dreams was excavating for some other reason. and mm-hmm. that, But that as they were doing that, they had to make safe whatever ghosts they came across. I think that's true for half the partnership here. I see. But, <laughs> but uh, I think on no, paper, uh, that's right. what's happening. I guess I meant like they were going to do a construction project on top of this graveyard or something. But I guess in the world of the problem, that would be a real poor choice. Oh, man. Could you imagine? <laughs> yeah. Just watch the movie Poltergeist. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I take back. So they're literally just trying to find type. Uh, they're literally just trying to find ghosts. Gotcha. Yeah, this is like a cottage industry of like, you know, th- this would be like mine removal or something in the, you know, Eastern Europe yeah. or something like that. Except you use kids to go find the mines. <laughs> it's like, it's fucking wild. Okay. I I definitely had in my head that there was something else going on here. But maybe that's just because I like to think a little bit better of the world than how you just described it. Man, that's dark. It's bad. Yeah, yeah this is not good. I love how much this guy sucks too. He he's <laughs> yep. like the perfect razor's edge of like I'm an important businessman uh and also I don't care about other people at all. <laughs> yeah, I enjoy it. in the book they fit in a moment where he says he chose Lockwood and Co just cuz they were the closest. They were the closest. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like to walk. Yeah, that's terrible. I mean, I'm happy they got the job, I guess, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. It it's even worse here because he's like, "Well, I heard through the grapevine that mm-hmm. like you guys need work. You'd be grateful and I can get a cut rate." Um essentially. Like even, you can't even like corrects himself like not grateful, amenable. Amenable, yeah. Like, "Oh, I took us took it a step too far." <laughs> and and then also his partner, and I love how she corrects. She's like business partner. I'm not I'm not with this guy. Yeah. I I do enjoy her like immediately bonding with George. Yes. Yeah. This is important uh, on many levels. And it makes us or it makes me like her also for like the costuming reasons you said. Yeah. I'm immediately like, oh, this is a good person. Who's, right. Like stuck with this guy that I don't like, which makes me like her more also. Yeah. And I, uh, I have this note a little later on, but like she also immediately sees what Lockwood wants later. 
and mm-hmm. starts and like knows how to pitch the graveyard to him too, which is a really good because like when Lockwood is trying to, I don't know, he's asking him something about the graveyard and about which part this unmarked grave is in and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, yeah, no, no. Or Lockwood seems like he doesn't want to take the job. And she starts talking about how there was some high end clientele and it, you know, because she knows that it could be good for their business. And that's what Lockwood wants. Right. Yeah, because Lockwood is still stinging from the NDA, from not getting the publicity. Yeah. And so he wants names that can grab headlines that he can go to the papers with. Yeah. He doesn't want to be like digging up paupers in a graveyard where they find out in this scene, it's like has a history of scandal and where it fell off from the very high end clientele at one point to being like a place where poor people were buried. And that's that's not going to get them any buzz, any juice. And Lockwood has that really great line, but like pre-pleb. Exactly. Oh my God. Pre, pre-pleb. Nice, Lockwood. Yeah. Oh, goodness. You can tell he's tired too. The way that Chapman plays yeah. the, the entire scene is really good. He's like rubbing his head. He's, he's trying to be nice, but it's like there's a lot of effort going on. And he, he does also once again try to boast about Lucy. And Lucy's just like, please stop. Please, nuh-uh. <laughs> Uh, they mentioned Edmund Bickerstaff here uh, as having some fun activities at nighttime in the graveyard. And I'm just so interested as to what the TV show writers were like. So in the books, the lie or the trick or whatever was that he was eaten by rats. But we're going to go with necrophilia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're going to turn it up. It's a weird choice. It is a choice. It's weird. I just want to know why. I... I how and why like i don't necessarily think it's bad because th- it, it cuts out all the talk about oh he was shot in the head but everybody said he was eaten by rats that's weird um and that's fine i guess i guess that's why they did it but like why necrophilia like were they just having a good laugh about it in the writer's room i <laughs> it's not from the book i don't think the book even the book couldn't go that far no it's no like no. A, yeah there's no necrophilia in the book <laughs> Yeah, and so they they just sort of described the situation. A sensitive discovered an unmarked grave, and it made her nauseous, and she passed out. Similar to how Lucy just passed out. Yeah, we're already drawing parallels here with this. Like, it's a dangerous type two. We don't know what's going on. I love how Lockwood turns on the whole thing, and then he he lays it out beautifully. And then we roll into credits. Yeah, that's a great bit. It's very strong. Also, it's a really late credits in the episode. I feel like we were a good seven minutes into the episode. Mm-hmm. I like the choices. Yeah, like, no, it's good. Yeah, it's not like, oh, we have to do it at a hard three minutes or something like that. It's a storytelling device. Yeah, no, it's nice. And I always, I love the the drums before we, before we actually get to the grid. I don't know. I love it every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really strong. And I guess... T- time passes i guess and but then we go to the graveyard i assume it's that night i I, like i assume they got some sleep and had a shower because he's lockwood's back in his full armor Mm -hmm. and we're We're in a cab cab, and we learn about relic men there's so much world building in this cab ride yep all kinds of things we haven't heard about before names put to things it was all there in the background but like now we're really talking about it and even like walking into the cemetery afterwards we 
get like a breakdown of these people do this, these people do this. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Yeah, we find out there's all kinds of rules for kids. They're not just out there swinging swords. <clears throat> there's a whole economy with different levels. Of dead kids. Of dead kids, yeah. I love George. It's like, I told them to unionize so many times. <laughs> That's, That's the the Night Watch. We also see the Ghost Cult, uh, which is interesting just because I don't think they ever come up again. They're here in the book, too. Uh, and I feel like they play a thematic role in this episode about, like, denialism. These are, like, you know, the anti-mask COVID people, the anti, like, global warming people. You know, they're in the middle of a crisis and they're like ghosts just want to get along they don't mean us any harm <laughs> they yeah. the truth is out there kind of stuff uh the truth lies beyond Be yeah, the truth beyond. lies and, and it's literally on some of the yeah. placards that they have I, so. i'd like everybody to know that i wrote down the truth lies behind behind <laughs> and it's it behind me you. up just it's there. right there <laughs> <laughs> oh don't watch the episode after 9 p.m um so that's great oh i do also like their lines when they're in the cemetery and they feel wrong about it and how it feels like enemy territory that's that's good yeah because this isn't their oeuvre they're they're mansion people they're not like in the graveyard i feel like this whole situation is like a lower economic class than what lockwood wants to be dealing with just all around <laughs> Yep. He wants these like bespoke haunted mansions that have headline potential and that, you know, they're able to like locate what room it's in and like, boom, you're done. Not to be like surrounded by 1000 potential type twos out there. <laughs> this is like a bad situation. Yeah. Not to mention the Relicman, uh, which is like. I said it like it's one word because that's how I wrote it um, <laughs> where there's these people out there who like want the ring that Lucy had from the previous episodes or things like that. This to sell, Yeah. To, to wealthy clients because they put them up like trophies in their house or curios. It's, it's crazy how much sense that makes. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is <laughs> like, a world bill element. I love this. Like, of course, there's a black market for the sources so that people can have the danger in their homes when other people are paying a lot of money to have the danger taken out of their homes. Yeah. It's yeah. is wild. And and we see in a couple episodes, Fitz does it too with having the sources on display. That's it's, one of my favorite things is the, the agency itself. It's yep. Like, this is our coolest shit that we're going to put out and display. It's it's really it's, you know, and it makes me think, too, of like the British and the French plundering Egypt and yep. like bringing all the, you know, mummies over to Europe and stuff like that's got to be a fucking problem in this world. I feel like in the book, there's lines about how museums have been shut down and. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you reap what you sow there. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. I like, There's even like. Oh, like, I don't know if you've noticed in the set building, but there's kind of stuff like that in the Lockwood house. Yeah. 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 So we're going to learn more about that later. 
There's. Well, I mean, I forget a season two. There's a whole thing here too where they're walking past the sensitives and George has like a lot of distaste for, I, lo- I love this about him, how you were saying like in the second episode, he had a secure, happy home and like a successful family and everything. Yep. And there's these people who have abilities, they're psychics, but they choose not to pick up a sword or they don't have to because of their comfortable lifestyle. And he has like a lot of disdain for them. Yes. I also really like this bit because the in the book, the disdain for the sensitive sensitives was all Lucy. And it was wrapped up in her this. I don't know about Stroud writing teenage girls, but she has this like disdain for other girls. Uh huh. Yeah. And I hate it a lot in the books, even though like I just don't think it would be that bad, at least not in her own head. Yeah, I could see like a psychological defensiveness where you're like, you feel insecure about your womanhood. And so you project out like you're unconsciously projecting outwards. But as as somebody who was vicious, though, she's she's really mean sometimes. But as somebody who was a teenage girl who absolutely would have landed on the side of not like other girls, it's in your head. That's not what it is. Like yeah. in your head, everything that you outwardly dislike about other girls are things you dislike about yourself. Yeah, exactly. And, and you don't get that sense. You don't get that sense. And I just, I just don't think an adult man has the nuance, or he didn't put, he didn't put any nuance uh, in the book about why Lucy is that way. It was just, eh, other girls, blah. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, I have no insight into Stroud's method or anything like that. There. I could imagine that there's like a sense in which you would be like, this is my target audience. I feel like book readers are like people who are already on the outs anyway. Um, Especially when they're teenagers. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you're targeting, like I want teenage girl readers who enjoy horror, like then this is how they think about other girls maybe. And they can relate to Lucy in that way. Yeah. And you know what? When I, if, if I had read this book when I was like 13, I probably wouldn't have even noticed. Yeah. That's what I mean. It's yeah. like maybe it's calibrated to be like that. And we wish that there was a little bit more sophistication and irony there. Yeah. But, but, but yeah. But as an adult, I was very much just like, oh, this was written by a man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I do like the choice of like, it's not Lucy saying this and that it's, there's even like an economic angle to it where he talks about the posh ones just don't have yeah. to, they can do this as like a side gig. Uh, and he yells at them like, why don't you write a poem about it when they're offended by his uh, criticism? Yeah, I, I love giving it to George because it just makes it kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, that's good. It's also... An interesting world building thing that is right in book one that there's a genderedness to the labor. Yep. Vis a vis sensitives. Uh, I think in the ad that Lockwood puts out. He does we, say, like, preferably a girl. Yeah. Yeah, I need a girl on the team because I need someone who's sensitive. And there's a lot of, like, you're emotionally sensitive, you're sensitive to the emotions and. And all of that kind of thing that's 
gendered. I mean, it's just straight up. I, a, I do wonder if that is some more of like Jonathan Stroud's bias. I don't, yeah, like I don't unconscious know. bias, obviously. He's not waking up every morning and thinking women are weak. I don't think that, but a lot of older men just have an unconscious thing. Yeah, but it's also like Lucy's strength, you know, like her. No, that's true. That's true. Her emotional insight and instincts are like what make her the most powerful person. So it's like, yeah, I, I think it's really an interesting thing, but it's also like, why aren't there any men who are sensitive? Like, why is it a gendered thing? I will say, I don't, I am wired to not give men the benefit of the doubt. So if I'm coming across a little mean to Jonathan Stroud, it really, <laughs> I, I don't know the man. Like, what, what do I know? Uh, I'm just, I, I don't. Caitlin, know. what in history do you think would predispose <laughs> you to not trust men as writers in literature? What do you think? Does that come from anywhere? Is there? So it probably started with Piers Anthony, but. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a whole podcast. Yeah. We could talk about that guy. Anyways, let's move on. Yeah. So I just think it's interesting that there's like an entire industry of the labor force that's necessary that is gendered. I wonder about like the pay scales involved there. I wonder like how it works around class. There's just like an entire aspect of the world building that I'm fascinated by because yeah. it's tied to gender. I It's so weird when things are tied so much into gender like this. And it's written either by a person or from a, a time period or whatever where they don't really examine gender that closely. Because what about trans people or non-binary people? Where would they fall mm -hmm. on this sensitive scale? Mm -hmm. and that's exactly what i think about yeah, yeah. Like and also like people. growing yeah growing up when we grew up it was always sort of thought that a gay man is more sensitive than a yeah, straight right. man yeah. and which whether, like, and the, whether or that it, lesbians are like less sensitive yes, or yeah. like more masculine yeah it's exactly just, like, ridiculous yeah i mean there's no room the the show and the books do not give any room to go into it but I want to see, you know, somebody's got to be writing essays about that. Somebody's got to be getting their PhD about why allegedly women are, you know, more likely to be good listeners. Right. Yeah. That's what I mean. It's like a fundamental fact about the magical aspect of the world. That's And then to me, that just symbolically says something. That's just an interesting lane to go down and that in inside the world there has to be people who are like is this biologically necessary like you said yeah. like there's got to be like an entire phd program about this it could also just be as simple as if you're a guy who's a good sensitive you hide that because yeah that's what i mean you're gonna like, get beat up yeah are those guys out there i yeah. know that george has like touch abilities and like but you don't see it that often yeah yeah so it's just like, I think it's worth noticing. I love the whole sensitives team. They're all long haired, willowy girls, uh, yep. <laughs> teenage girls. It's good. And even on, on Kip's team, Kat is the, is the listener. So Right. I love Kat. She's a strong extra on the Oh, yeah. The she's team. great. Whenever she's on screen, you notice her. 
Yeah, she's really she's good. She's a good actress. I hope she I hope she gets has good things in the future. I love how this scene wraps up out in the graveyard where everybody's pissed off at this slimy dude who's not a good person. Yep. And Lockwood comes and like turns on his charisma mm-hmm. 10 powers and just like smooths this entire situation. It's a, really strong. It's a good speech. And again, it just really makes me want to see Cameron Chapman do more in the future because he, he really sells it. He's brilliant. Yeah. It's just like a lot of Chris. Like I, I even buy it. Like I'm like, yeah, he really does care about that girl's experience. And <laughs> that we never see again. Nobody talks yeah, we to, don't her talk again. to her again. Yeah. She doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, no, it's good. I, I, I like in the future. I hope we get to see more like on a battlefield rousing speeches from, from Cameron Chapman. It'll yeah, be he'd great. be good at that. Yeah. yeah, and then George's, of course. If we ever really get famous, he'll be unbearable. <laughs> <laughs> and we go in the church. Uh, is this a church? I don't. I don't know what. What do it's you call a, it in a graveyard? The chapel. It's, it's above. It's the top portion of some catacombs. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's like a crypt area. I don't know. I'm sure there's a name for it. Anyways, uh, they meant they talk about the catafalque, and I enjoy the that bit because even George thinks it's a little uncouth to be using it as a table, considering it used to transport dead bodies. And George <laughs> is like, like the most practical. Like, eh, it's a table, mm, may as well. But like, no, even he's like, mm, maybe don't put biscuits on it. Yeah, he's like, I'll eat food anywhere, but this is even for me. Yeah. This is not good. It's good. Uh, and then we do learn that no one has seen the visitor that's causing all the problems. They've just felt nauseous about it. So must be pretty strong since it is still in the ground. And then fucking, I, what is this man's name? I never wrote down his name. Whoa, Slimy which... dude. Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, I have the IMDb pulled Slime up, dude it know. is. He says, he has this line where he says, your generation, or no backbone, your generation. I wrote that down too. Oh my God, I want to punch him in his face. (laughs) He's uh, Sebastian Saunders. I guess that's it. Okay. Mr. Saunders. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really good. And that's like, and he's got them over the barrel at this point. Like they're Mm -hmm. here. The job is happening. The deal has changed. What are you going to do about it? Um, Suck it up. You young people, all you do is complain. Go out there and make (laughs) me some money. And he has that line about, oh, if you have a complaint, just submit paperwork. And I hate people who use the system like that. Like, fuck you, you fucking... It's perfect. It's really good. Well, but then the team goes to check out the grave. We go out by ourselves. There's a really cool like camera thing that happens where it like it's kind of like upside down or sideways and it mm-hmm. spins around to the grave. So oh, yes, you get yes. the sense. Yeah, you get the sense that like this is the creepy place. There's good like X-Files style lighting outside that I appreciate. Yep. Um, harsh light from far away through trees kind of thing. And we get sort of Lucy and Lockwood tuning in here, but Lockwood keeps his eyes open this time. So I like it. <laughs> yeah. 
the hearing effect is really good. Everybody mm-hmm. is underwater except for Lucy. It is good. And then they draw straws to see who's going to get in. I wrote down immediately, things get weird. The sound gets real bad and stuff. Yeah. And yeah, as soon as George starts digging it up, that it, Lucy is immediately affected and is having flashbacks and feeling sick. And yeah. Yeah, he's literally digging up her stuff. Oh, yeah. I didn't think of it that way. But yeah, flashbacks to what happened in the basement. And I think that's where she remembers stepping on the thumbtacks and that sort of thing. Right. Which she saw during the interview. And she was like, what is this? How did this happen? Yeah. And then they do this really good, like some more things go on. They, When George discovers that the coffin is made of iron, which is weird because it's been down there for a hundred years. And so they take a moment to regroup a little and talk about it. But there's like a hole in the iron, so they still have to dig it up right now. And my question is, why don't they just throw a silver net over the whole thing? Like put it in like a silver net little baggie? Right. Yeah. Done and done. And then be like, okay, we'll deal with this piece by piece or something. Yeah. Because they've already got it. They know. Like, it's not even fully open yet. It is mostly covered in iron. And still, Lucy is hearing flies and feeling sick. Like, that is a strong-ass ghost. But I guess, there, yeah, there wouldn't be a story if they did it the safest way you possibly could. Plus, this dude <laughs> needs fair. to, like, he needs to get paid. And it's it's part of the verification process that we, like, this is the source. This is the thing. There is definitely a ghost attached to this casket or whatever um so that that is the job is we i have guess to like, yeah. find the source blah 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 there's an element here and i i mean this has been here like the whole time and i keep meaning to say it um that is like things that things people that died before the problem mm. are are still like I guess that when I realized this reading the book, I was like, holy shit, that's crazy. That like, it's not people who like died as the problem began. And then those can be like the disturbed spirits. It's like anybody who died yep. before the problem could also be anybody who was murdered. Anybody who like had the strong emotional attachment when they died could like come back. And that is like, a huge part of why this is such a crisis. Yeah. It's interesting to think about when you know things later on. And there's no possible way for me to talk about that without intense spoilers. So I don't really know why I brought it up. (laughs) But it's just an, it's an interesting thought to think that these people would have had something keeping them here before the problem started. Yeah, it seems to be about emotions mm-hmm. in in some way. Uh, and there's also hints in the second book that the ability of ghosts to return is like creeping outward through, I don't know how to say this right. Like the people who died in the past were not, coming back so much but now it's like more and more and more happening uh with like proximity to the problem so it was like people who immediately died before the problem 
were coming back, but now more and more we're getting people who are like hundreds of years ago were dying. Now they're coming back where they weren't before. Like it's getting worse, is, yeah. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Like knowing, knowing what I know from having finished the series, that would make sense, I think. Um, also in like episode two, you know, George does say like, how, why does it, or George, I think Lucy says it actually, um, you know, how it only seems to get worse, not better, no matter what they do. Yeah. So it's just interesting that this grave is here. It's, it's, uh, iron, like we said, but it's before the problem and this person died a long time ago, but there's still like a really strong ghost. Yeah. Um, and then when they sort of stop to regroup, Lucy can hear flies that no one else can hear, like buzzing. Yeah. Oh, I would hate that. It's cool. And, it's very and, creepy. Yeah. And then this is where I really love how the editing gets here, because quite literally, all that's happening is three people are standing around. But they make it, it feels seem... intense. It feels intense and chaotic. And yeah. like just... The acting and the editing and everything. And like when Joplin comes up and there's another person in the mix, you're just like, ah, it's really good and chaotic. And I love it. They did a good job. It's very strong. Uh, Lucy uh, is surprised by like the memories are popping up for her and she freaks out, whips out her sword and accidentally cuts herself when you know, she like, does it. Just after she got her grade four too, she goes and does an amateur <laughs> thing like that. Like, come on, Lucy. <laughs> it shows how out of sorts she is yeah um, i do also want to point out that like within a two minute span here lockwood asks if she's okay like four times yeah (laughs) so i don't think she's doing good they manage to pry open the casket and george uh looks down into what the corpse is clutching looks like a mirror or something there's a some swirlies in it yeah yeah he is mesmerized, literally. And then, like, uh, Lockwood kind of pulls him out. And yep. Lucy gets a silver net over the body and, and the a, mirror. And the sound, like, immediately goes back to normal. Yep. And, like, all that chaos drops right off. Mm-hmm. It's super strong. Yeah, it's good. And And she, like, throws the net, but it covers all of him. So she got it together there for the net. It was such a good throw. Like, even the first time I watched, I was like, damn, you can tell she's a professional. Yeah, I wouldn't have been able to do that, definitely. No. And then Lockwood asks if she's okay again. Again. (laughs) But I do think this one's about her bleeding. And George is not okay, though. Yes. Uh, George is visibly different. He's got his glasses off. He's just staring off into space. I know that... Like, he looks weird without his glasses, which is weird to say, because obviously I, the actor does not usually wear glasses. And I've seen him in, like, interviews and pictures and stuff without his glasses. And he looks normal. Uh, Ali Haji Hajmati without his glasses looks normal. But George without his glasses, no. Yeah, they do it. He does a really good job. Like, his stance where he has, like, a little bit of a stoop. And yeah. he's just, like, this zoned out look on his face is good acting. It is really, and and you can really see him come back to himself and put his glasses back on. Mm-hmm. And he has that great line where he's like, "It was black, but there was something in the blackness." Oh, I love that. And he can hear flies now where yes. he couldn't before. So something is off. 
Uh, and then they talk about why in the world an iron casket. And he mentions that silver and iron have always been superstitious and blah, blah, blah. Yep. They do mention that the corpse was shot in the head, but I think it's less important in the show than it was in the book. Yeah, I what I like about that, they mentioned the detail and Lockwood is like, who cares? Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter. Like, we did the job. We're going to get paid. We can put this behind us. And I love that Lockwood does not know what show he is in. He is in a different show. Because <laughs> it's hilarious, though, that he says that here, because obviously, after everything that happens at the end of this episode, it's the other way around. The other two are like, maybe we should just and he's like, no, this is ours. We're doing it. Yeah, this is <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're in on the mystery now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because we have what we have here is another murder mystery on our hands. And yeah, who killed this dude? What, who is this dude? Yep, this is going to be the story. And meanwhile, Lucy also does not care about the murder mystery because there is a gravestone nearby with a skull on the top of it. And she that's all she cares about is staring at this skull. Yep. Can you imagine like commissioning the tombstone for your loved one and being like, yeah, we need a skull. I really want there to be a, a creepy skull that looks at me every time I visit them. Could yep. you do that? <laughs> so we see Lockwood having to sign endless paperwork. And then that is when Lucy remembers the skull saying her name. Yep. So it all unlocks now. And she's yeah. like, what the hell does this mean? Because ghosts say the same thing over and over again. Yeah. They're, it's like, let me go or whatever. Annabelle kept saying, I am Groot, whatever it, a ghost <laughs> says over and over. They can the only say loop. one thing. Yeah. But not this one. It's It knows her name. It was saying things to her. And so that's like a whole different level of thing that never happens. Uh, but then George makes a bad choice. The first of many, I feel. Yeah, I think this shows how... George is different. He's been affected because we know that he's the most cautious. He's mm -hmm. always into doing the research first, bringing the right supplies to the job. And he breaks a really basic field ops rule of like crossing the boundary and yep. like getting in there. You're not supposed to do that. And anyway, they release the ghost again. Good old bigger staff. We don't know that yet. Um, but he is a giant. This is so cool. Yeah, I think this looks awesome. I feel like in the book it was mentioned that he was bigger, but it was like seven feet bigger. And in this, they were like, no, 20 feet. Oh, no, he's huge. Yeah, he's yeah, like a tree so or something. Yeah. Um, and, of course, everyone's come up, so everyone there is affected. And then Lucy gets her rapier and chucks it at him. This is extremely cool. Yeah, I love yeah, it. It like explodes inside of him. Lucy is like a badass mm -hmm. yeah george is the throws the net back over and gets rid of this thing I, what i really like about this is how it contrasts to annabelle's ghost mm -hmm. so this just feels more malevolent and like more powerful creepier this is a whole different we're not like connecting with this ghost trauma yeah. in order to like solve its thing like this is a totally different animal yeah it's not it's not a victim. No. Yeah, you get that sense immediately. Yes. That's, that's really well put. It's not a victim. I also, uh, I do like the the bit in the book 
because Lucy does chuck her rapier at the smaller ghost that is, I think in the book it was standing in between George and Joplin, and right. she hits it. And then afterwards, Lockwood is complimenting her skill, and she's just like, yep, thanks. And he's like, that was an accident, wasn't it? I was like, yeah, I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah, it was just <laughs> spur of the moment. Yeah. Could have took George out. Yeah, I just... it, was, it was good. <laughs> I, I did enjoy that bit in the book, so just wanted to call it out. Uh, but then Lucy takes off, and no one like just takes off without saying anything to anyone. Yeah, she's done. She's overwhelmed. She needs to go talk to the skull, her new best friend. So, like, <clears throat> when you pop the lid on this thing the way that she does does it like does that let all the bubbles out does it like get <laughs> flat then like the carbonation yeah and then you need to close it back up and give it a good shake yeah exactly yeah <laughs> could you imagine shaking shaking awesome. the, the i'm glass? sure skull has been put through worse yeah um does it taste like pickle juice oh what is god it? gross no it's plasma it would just kill you yeah it would kill you it instantly. is i think when the ghost isn't there it is just a skull in a jar. Yeah. There's nothing else. And so anything that looks liquidy is just the ghost plasm. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when she first gets there, it's it is just a skull. And then when she pops the thing, then it's then the face manifests and stuff. I I mean, having said that though, I have always pictured it as like a pickled skull. You it's know, like green. It's in I vinegar. Mean, yeah. <laughs> it's probably pickle. It's probably pickle, yeah. Um, so after they start sort of talking, Lucy has this great line where she says, I must be losing it. And then Skull says, no, finding it. And I love that. That's so good. Mm, yeah. Yep. And she says to him, like, you're a type three. And he's like, yes. Like, he, <laughs> he understands yeah. the world building. This was true in the book, too, that, like, in book two, Skull was very weird and creepy and like just down for the business of wanting to be reunited with Bickerstaff. Uh, and then it was after Bickerstaff was gone in book three that he was like, well, I guess I need to be a sarcastic bitch now. So I'm not <laughs> saying that they've done anything wrong here. I'm just saying I miss sarcastic bitch skull. Yeah, he's not there yet. He, yeah. he also has an arc where he's but, like, but like all of my fondness for him comes from like books three to five so post yeah post book two if, if i if i seem overly fond of this weird ghost that's why <laughs> yeah i i like uh i like skull though you know he reminds me of this is only old people will understand this but there's a, a character maybe you know this uh named michigan j frog from looney tunes do you know who i'm talking about i do not remember michigan j frog so Michigan J. Frog is like a frog that when nobody else is around, this one character watches the frog. He'll do like, he does the whole song and dance thing. And he's like, hello, my baby. Oh, hello, him. Yes. Daughter. Okay. I do know. Yes. I just didn't yeah. know his name. Yeah. And then the, he's like, come see this frog. This is crazy. We're going to make a million dollars. And then the frog will just sit there and rib it. And yes. I feel like that's what Skull, like you say that he doesn't have the sarcastic personality, but that is what he did to Lucy like at the end of book one, he talks to her and then she's like, brings George and Lockwood and like, watch, he'll talk. And then he just sits there and he's like, I ain't fucking talking for you. Like, That's true. <laughs> not with these two. That is a good point. So I like that his his personality was already there. He just chose to 
do his best to hide it. Because there was no reason before Bickerstaff for him to be like, now he has like a motive. Yeah, that's but true. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We um, are. We are. Yeah. Um, I do. I do like that. What he has to say here, this call is he's just immediately sowing doubt between Lucy and the boys. Right. Uh, Lockwood in particular talking about the secrets that he has and mentioning the door. Mm-hmm. And then he sort of yells out that death is coming. Death is coming. Yeah, it's very creepy. And I, I feel like they cut out something that he says in the books. Oh, I don't know. I, I, does he not say that death is in life and life is in death? Oh, that sounds familiar, maybe. I don't remember. It's interesting that they cut that out. And I feel like... Well, I can't... Not to jump ahead to the final episode, but I feel like that's why they have him, like, kind of disappear for a bit after stuff that happens at the end. Because mm-hmm. then he's going to come back and know more, I, I, you know, and mm-hmm. give that, that bit then. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's it's like George says, It's uh, this is like a big clue to the problem and stuff. So we're like... We're on the Uber mystery, too. Yeah, yeah, it's good. At the same time. Uh, but this girl is super interested in where she was and what they were doing. And she, yeah, and he says can, he like, can smell, smell power, power on her. Yeah. It freaks her out. She mm-hmm. locks him back down. And then she's like, oh, my God, I can sense type threes. I can have conversations. What does this mean about me? And she's like freaking out again on an existential mm-hmm. level. But then Lockwood and George come home arguing. Well, Lockwood is arguing George is just wanting to do research. Yeah, George is is on a whole different track now. He's obsessed. He's yeah. hyper fixated for sure. I don't like this scene because I cannot take yelling and arguing. This is a brutal fight. Yeah, between all three from of them. everyone. Yeah. yeah, knives out, man. Like they are going for each other full throttle. Yeah, I, I should specify it's well done. I just don't like watching it because of you know my own specific childhood trauma. <laughs> this is triggering. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't. I don't have a good time here. It was difficult to take notes on it. Uh, but there's some good. There's some good character stuff in here. It's brutal. I think that's that's literally my only note on the fight is like this fight is brutal because I feel bad watching it. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, just everybody's calling out everyone on their shit, basically. Mm-hmm. Lockwood is like, what were you thinking? Well, how could you do that? And George is just like, I had to. And also, you would never call out Lucy like this. And uh, yeah, she's accessorizing with sources yeah. out in the field going to Deprac with a fucking, you know, <laughs> ring on. And that's fine. But I do one thing and I'm like the problem. Get yeah. real, dude. And um, then Lucy comes up with the skull and tries to tell them that it spoke to her. <laughs> she has that great moment where she's like, this means that I'm, and George says, clinically insane. And she says, <laughs> really fucking powerful. I do like that they gave Lucy the one F-bomb. Oh, true. It's great. Yeah, we curse so much I don't notice cursing. (laughs) 
I, I noticed it just because it was so absent from the books and but yeah. then so present in the show. This is the right moment to do it too. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, this um, is a boy calling a girl crazy, by the way. It's not it's not great. <laughs> it's not great. Uh Lucy makes bad choices too though when she decides to use the room to try to make Lockwood believe her. Yeah. And I guess in the book there was more of the room having come up and having Lucy know it was a bad idea to bring it up. So maybe this isn't that bad of a choice, but I'm like, if you know it's a bad idea, why bring it up? You're not you're not making any friends here. She's more obsessed with it in the book, too. Yeah. She thinks about it a lot. It feels like in the book, it feels like Lockwood doesn't trust her. Like, that's her perspective on it. And for Lockwood, it's like a totally different thing it has nothing to do with trust it's like he's burying something yeah uh, emotionally and he doesn't want to even acknowledge it yeah this is this is really brutal because he like claps back pretty hard to be like if you talk about if you even mention this you're done i will get rid of you yeah yeah it sucks and they all kind of walk away oh and lucy also has that line or Lockwood says, you're not Marissa Fitz. And then she says, why? Because you can't handle being my Tom Rotwell. Second best. And That's, that's like, the real. Yeah. yeah. That's a great character moment for the two of them. And also, it's really good world building. It is. It's, and it's yeah. fitted in so well there. I really appreciate this. It like, yeah, <laughs> from a world building, I was like, oh, so this is where the top two agencies like, yeah. there's a whole history there that's, like, a split between these two people who are formative. And, the, yeah, there's a, yeah. a whole bunch of stuff happening. It's a really good line. And the the acting in this scene is great. Um, I, I will say another, like, George also does call out Lockwood for liking the way that Lucy looks at him. And Lockwood just mm-hmm. goes, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's, a, that's not real, George. That's yeah. not. Go away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just for, everyone's bringing up all of Lockwood shit. And he's like, please get out of my house. But not really, because that's my worst fear. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's all, it's bullseyes all the way down. Like everybody yeah. is, yeah, that's the, that's why this hurts so much. Yeah, uh, it sucks. Uh, and then they're all miserable, because that's what happens when you're mad at your family. Mm-hmm. There's uh, good, like, face acting in that scene, too, where yep. there's, like, so there's satisfaction satisfaction that i hit the exact soft spot and then shame and then like nope i'm not taking it back like all of that stuff happening within seconds of each other yep yeah it's a great scene i i hope they had like a really great time acting it (laughs) because it's sit there and cry no this is like juicy stuff actors love that shit Mm -hmm. yeah they're uh, all so, very good i love that she gets the the vcr tape yes. and doesn't just like go to her room and cry she's like she's still is, like in her needing yeah. to figure it out yeah she's in her existential crisis and like i i believe me i'm not ashamed i need to learn more i need to find myself so and this is where the good mirror shot is where you see her getting the tape in the mirror uh beautifully composed shot um also here this is where we get our song this episode which is a song called um song to the siren by this mortal coil 
And I love the choice of the song. It, it's my favorite on the soundtrack. I, I just really, really like it. Um, but I love, because sirens, of course, are like the evil mermaids that sing and, and lure people to their death right. of drowning, which brings to mind Lucy's earlier thing about feeling like she's drowning. Mm, yeah. And also, I feel like I'm probably, you know, we're in English class, so I'm going to overanalyze this. But Lucy <laughs> and Lockwood especially both feel that siren call of death throughout the whole series while simultaneously having to work so close to death. Right. Like yeah. I, I feel like with their pasts, this is the last job either of them should be doing. Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> you know, like maybe don't get so involved in death. But anyways, and then they also have this siren call to each other. Because, like, almost immediately, Lockwood comes upstairs and is like, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, like. This scene, I don't know. I have a weird theory about it. I don't know how you feel about it, where mm -hmm. Lockwood comes up. But the way that the actors play it, I feel like Lucy and Lockwood are physically attracted to each other. Do you think that so that's happening? <laughs> Sorry. I thought you were going to be serious. No, not serious. Serious to say. There's no insight here. I mean, this is the thing that the scene is, right? Uh, just before Lockwood comes up, though, we yeah. we watch this tape of Marissa Fitz giving an interview, and this it's is so good, so good. It's amazing. I love the costumes yep. that are going. This is like very like early 1980s power. Yes. Yeah, the shoes that they're both wearing are like, yes. oh my God, I've seen my mom wear those shoes. <laughs> the hairdos, like all yeah. of it is like really, really good. I, I'm pretty sure my mom had that hair. Marissa yeah. Fitz hair. Yeah. Um, and just the good world building that we're getting. The, this, this actress who has this one little bit part fucking nails it. Yeah, she's like really good. She, where there's this whole long thing about type threes and then a silence, and she's like, "So what's your question?" Yeah, she's because she's so like, good. She's very tired of like being doubted and like I saved the world and like how dare you energy. Um, it's really really good. It's and it's so small, and I feel like they could have not paid attention to this scene, but. They do, and it, I, I love it. It's so good. I also like that it's on a VCR, uh, obviously. Yes, not like, a combo piece this time. Yeah, it's on a real VCR. And uh, so this is like Lockwood's old VCR for his personal bedroom, because this used to be his room. Yeah, and also, uh, I never noticed it before, but if... I talked a lot last time about a necklace that Penelope was wearing, and Marissa is wearing that necklace in this video. Oh, shit. I did not notice. I'll have to go back and look at that. I, That's this, very cool. If you remember, I texted, well, our group chat last night being like, oh, you can't open two Netflix windows at the same time because I needed it. Right. It's very blurry, so I guess I'm not 100% sure on it, but it's a really distinctive-looking necklace. So I'm That's pretty sure cool. it's it. Which does kind of confirm that they have replaced the bracelet with the necklace. And what a weird choice, because that necklace is ugly. <laughs> <laughs> it's so terrible. Um, but I, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure she is wearing the necklace, so I like that detail. 
there's a really good kind of voiceover thing that happens here where yeah. as the tape is playing, like, and the song is going on in the background, we're yeah. cutting to the other characters. And as Lockwood goes up and puts his hand on the locked door, mm-hmm. uh, Marissa is talking about like denial is a powerful reaction that people have. And I'm like, Oh man, you are just like underlining what is happening emotionally here in a really good way. I I really, really like it. Yeah. It's a great, it's one of my favorite scenes like this scene followed by the, the first aid scene that we have here. uh, It's the, the, the best some of the best acting that we see, some of the best writing, the great musical cue. It's so good. Yeah, it's very powerful. Yeah. Like kudos to the director and everybody involved. It's like, let alone the actors, of course. Uh, it's just all really good. Cameron <laughs> 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 yeah. and Ruby. Yeah. Like, it seems like they come by their like chemistry together pretty naturally and they're not really trying that hard. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm joking, obviously. They do a great job. Yeah, this is... It's very cute, though, how he comes up and he's like, I'm not Lockwood. Yeah, I know I look like Anthony Lockwood, but I'm not. It's good. And And the shame on his face when she's like, good, because he's a prick. (laughs) Yeah. It's good. And also, I love that, you know, she turns off the tape, the music stops, and you can hear the rain pounding outside. And it just really makes it this, like, cozy, like, they're in their own world thing. Yeah, when I had headphones on, I was like, oh, wow, the sound design is, like, that's a really subtle touch. Yeah. That's excellent. That's good. And obviously, they their hands sort of grab each other again. And you can say it's medical reasons here, but, like, she could do it herself. Oh, yeah, there's... There's a lot of unnecessary touching happening. <laughs> unnecessary touching. Medically unnecessary. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, but we get a smidgen of Lockwood backstory here. He's very, he's as vulnerable as he can stand to be, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love how, like, this plays out where once he believes her her entire body kind of changes like the way that she's holding herself she absolutely like lets out a breath and you can see it yeah yeah she like opens up and and she also that's the point at which she starts to banter with him again and like joke around even though she has this is like tremendous acting where yeah i can't i can't understand how people can do this where she has tears in her eyes but she's like half smiling yes and joking around it's and, like powerful and you can see the tears but she doesn't quite cry how, yeah yeah that's amazing how do you do yeah. that i don't know how people do that. i don't know how people do that i, I literally <laughs> just wrote down oh he believes her <laughs> oh yeah that's huge it's very yeah. romantic and unfortunately <laughs> when men believe women it's powerful <laughs> But it's also just be the way it is. <laughs> he's also uh, self-aware about his jealousy, which is good. Yeah, and I like that. There is also like a I don't know if it's a camera angle or makeup or something, but whenever we have the camera on his face, 
it's like they've taken all the angles out of his face and it because usually he is a very like angular face mm-hmm. but here he mm-hmm. looks so round and it makes him look like 10 years old and it gives this weird <laughs> softness to the scene not weird but like a nice softness to the scene but like they never he never looks like that anywhere else it's just here and it i don't know how they did it he looks like a completely different person Mm, like lens choices or something there. Yeah. This has got to be a tight shot too, because the way that they're sitting on the bed and stuff, there's not much room to have yeah. a camera there. Yeah. I don't know enough about that stuff to talk about cinematography in like a way that where I'm not just like making it up. So I'm not going to pretend like I know. I mean, it's a close up shot on their faces. Like when we switch back and forth, which does generally mean either like we're getting vulnerability or they want us to feel uncomfortable because you're never Uh that close Uh to someone's face in real life or very rarely yeah it's really good though he's yeah he opens up he's vulnerable she is like obviously extremely moved by it everything like there's a lot of healing that happens in this scene and then it like becomes awkward very quickly yeah when they realize that they just left their fingers intertwined yeah and their faces are that close, like I was just saying. And, and they have this good moment. And it it's interesting. It's small, but I like it because it's kind of different in that they're staring at each other. And then he does that thing that happens in almost every movie ever where he looks down at her lips. But then instead of looking back up at her eyes, he just looks away. Mm, and it's yeah. good. Just like, mm-hmm. mm, nope. Because I feel like anywhere else he would have looked back up at her eyes and then they would have had the awkwardness. Mm-hmm. But in this one, he just looks away. That is good. He, he really sells the awkwardness, the choice of it. You can feel the choice. And then it's like, I wonder what, yeah, just I wonder how she interprets all of it. If she's like, oh, I was imagining something that wasn't there. Or if she's like, he, I don't know. Like, there's got to be, like, a million thoughts going through her head after that. Yeah, I don't... I think they're both pretty good at repressing, though. Yeah, yeah. I So they decide that they need to go talk to George because he believes her mm-hmm. about the skull, and the skull has said, like, an ominous death-is-coming thing. So they need to tell George about that. And also, he needs to apologize to George. Yeah, the real reason. Um, but it's 2 a.m. and George has disappeared. Right. And all we have for a clue is um, some translation notes on the desk. The truth lies beyond. Yep. And so Lockwood's like, I know where we got to go. And back to where to we George. were. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, George is back in the crypt. I don't remember what word we settled on, but let's go with crypt, I guess. How to folk biscuit room. The... Yeah. Uh, but it's a crime scene now. That's weird. What's going on? And also we get we get a shot of a rat. Um, and I like to oh, yeah. A, think that that's a shout out to the eaten by rats things. And also it's just really cute. Oh, yeah. I, I, I hadn't I like... thought that. No, rats are super scary to me. Like any any mouse or I hate that he was eaten by rats in the book. It's the worst. <laughs> I hate that. I I don't like actual like outside rats, but this is obviously they got a cute rat from a pet store. Like Oh yeah, this is like a a show business rat. Yeah, yeah for sure. he's yeah. it's adorable. Yeah. 
Uh, but then Barnes is there, and surprise, surprise, the mirror has been stolen. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> I I like how he's all, was anything out of the ordinary? And George is like, no, absolutely by the book. By the book, yeah. <laughs> no problem, sir. Uh, stupid Barnes. Put Kips on the case. Yeah, so we get our team back. Our rival team shows up. <laughs> Barnes still doesn't trust Lockwood uh, or their team. Yeah. He's like, oh, if no wonder something went wrong. You guys were involved. Ugh. I do like um, just like Lockwood and Lucy arriving right at the perfect moment to back George up here. Mm-hmm. I think that went a farther way for George than any apology could have. Like, because it shows that Lockwood knew George and. Yep. Yeah, yeah, this is really good. It's good. And, and, and George looks, the, the look on his face is so good. The blocking of it is also really good, how they mm-hmm. literally cut in between the Kips's team, and then it's like an us versus them kind of standoff. And they yeah. have the high ground, which I also like. Yes. Oh, and when they walk in, so they have Lucy say, y'all right, Kat. Or she says hi to Cat as she comes in specifically, and I mm-hmm. like to think that she says hi to the only other girl in the room to show solidarity as being above the maturity level of these boys, and not because they feel a need to pit the two girls against each other as the book did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She sees her as like a colleague. There's that energy. It that's, feels like that's what I hope they're going for there, and we get our first good look at um, Spider-Man's brother here. Spider-Man's brother. <laughs> is he literally Tom Holland's brother or something? Yeah, Patty Holland. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Um, the actor who plays Ned is okay. Tom Holland's younger brother. Patty Holland? Yeah. Interesting. I had no idea. I, I wrote down, does that make him a Nepo sibling? <laughs> he's got some chops. He's doing okay. Yeah, no, he's 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 cute. I, I don't know. I like him. I love how self-satisfied he is where he like turns in the report and how smug he is walking around. (laughs) And then George just destroys him, which is so satisfying. Even like straight from the beginning when George is like, why would you carry an iron thing two miles? You do it because it's iron. You Mm -hmm. idiot. Right. (laughs) He just destroys him with basic logic. Uh, it's good. It's really good. It's very, very strong. This is like George's whole Sherlock Holmes kind of moment where he deconstructs Kipps's team's whole analysis mm-hmm. and wins the case back for Lockwood. I also love the the complete roller coaster ride that Lockwood is on for this whole thing because he... <laughs> is not sure if George is really on the right track or not. And Chapman is playing it on his face to perfection. Yeah, when George brings up Bickerstaff, he's just like, but then George (laughs) brings it back around. He's like, ooh. Yeah, (laughs) there's some highs and lows (laughs) happening for him. I do love when when George brings up Bickerstaff and then, of course, implies that the necrophilia was... Like they were using the necrophilia rumor to hide what he was actually doing as though necrophilia was the better option. Right. Yeah. It's better <laughs> than occultist weirdness. 
Yeah. I just don't know that I agree with that, but. (laughs) It's very like Dr. Frankenstein where he's, you know, he's like digging up bodies and grave robbing and stuff. And he's like, it's for medical stuff. It's fine. It's I'm not raising the dead. Uh, It's that kind of thing. Uh, Except necrophilia. Like, okay. Yeah. It's really doesn't make sense. And then the the two teams just descend into childhood yelling antics. I love, I love, love it. They're just teenagers immediately screaming at each other. Yeah, Barnes is literally the adult in the room. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's so good. And then he puts them both on the case. Yeah, so this is huge. And like I said, I think it goes back to like the big theme of this arc. And the thing that we've already centered about Lockwood's entire, like, I need the spotlight on me. I need to be the center of the universe. And now he's in a situation where he has no choice but to work with his rival, the douchebag Kips. So this is really good. This is perfect. Yeah. I do love that they got like a 30-year-old man to play Kips. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean... uh, Jack Bandera, I think is his name. He does a great job of looking and acting younger. But whenever I see him like out of his quill costume, it's like, oh, no, that is that is a 30 year old man. Oh, yeah. He's got. (laughs) Yeah. He's lantern jawed. He's like he's a man. Yeah. He is a full grown man. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, Oh, and then Lockwood is so mean to him here, but I love it. I didn't write down a single thing that he said. Oh, it's outside of the crypt. When they go to the the crypt porch or whatever. Or whatever. I'm sure that yeah. also has a name. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And he, some of the things he says to him are just, wow. But I, I enjoy it. I do also love just as they're walking out, you get very quietly a conversation between Lucy and George. Where George says, I guess Lockwood's decided to believe you then. And she says, yeah, I don't expect you to. And he's like, good. Shall we get hot dogs? (laughs) (laughs) We just understand each other. Yeah. I'm not on your team. There's also, (laughs) I was watching this with Christina and she's like, wait, why are they selling hot dogs at the graveyard? And I was (laughs) like, oh, this is a whole thing. Let me tell you about world building. Uh, I love that that touch is there. It's really, really smart. Yep imagine being the guy at that hot dog cart (laughs) oh yeah this is like i hate this for that guy but but this is like street vendor life this is how it works you got to go where the where the customers are i hope him and the cab drivers have a really good christmas party every year you know yeah where they have a reel of all the people who died in their industry (laughs) oh no it's a ghost touch yeah yeah, so there's a whole pissing contest here. Yeah, that's uh, Lockwood going for his throat. And there's, you know, in the book, there's the whole thing about take out a full a full page ad in the Times, mm-hmm. you know, conceding that you lost. And that makes a lot more sense here after this NDA and after all this denialism. Right, yes about this not happening this is like much keener and makes a lot more sense and is about like the satisfaction that lockwood is after 
than it did in the book. So I like that they carried over the thing from the book, but that it also makes like way more psychological sense for Lockwood. Yes. I also like that better than what they do here because they immediately have Quill say, no, 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 whoever loses never works again. But I feel like that takes all of the tension out of it because as a reader, as a watcher or whatever, you know that... You like know Lockwood. the name of the show. Yeah, like that's <laughs> never going to go. <laughs> but I can, I can totally see them losing and having to do the newspaper thing and how that would be really upsetting for them. But Especially would, for it, Lockwood. Yeah, yeah, but it could happen. Them never working it, that's never going to happen. Right, yeah. Yeah, so. you're never afraid for Batman when he's hanging on a ledge. You're, you know that you're watching Batman the movie. So it's like, don't tell me that Lockwood and Co. is never going to work in this town again. Yeah. It's, that's not what the show is. I that being said, Lockwood doesn't know that. He's he doesn't know the name of the show. I mean, the, actually Lockwood might. <laughs> yeah, he would love that it's the yes. name of the show. I I do like when he's walking up the stairs, Lucy in the background is like, "Oh, for God's sake." Yes. When he's like calling him an, an appendix and then the look on her face when it's like, you'll never work in this town again. And Lockwood's like, yeah, good. I'll do that. And she's like, the fuck, dude? Like, do you understand how my life is? I have nowhere to go. What are you doing? I, I mean, on the other hand, I get that he couldn't back down once he was up there. Everybody was watching. Yeah. I, I too, would not have been able to back down from that. So I can't really blame him. Yeah. Well, and it's perfect. The The stakes couldn't be higher and it's it's uh centralized the conflict for lockwood this is the emotional conflict that he's gonna have to go through this is do or die Mm -hmm. and it's you know he's turned a collaboration into a competition which is part of the problem emotionally (laughs) not the problem not the problem (laughs) but it's his problem that he needs to work through in this art so it's a great starting place it's it's, yeah, uh, it's, it's a good really kickoff well to our second arc here. Yeah. I have not thought at all about a most punk rock. Uh, I forgot that portion of our podcast. <laughs> that you created. That I created, yeah. Uh, the moment that I wrote down was just basically George leaving home and then like getting when he gets to the crime scene owning. Yeah kip's team just the whole thing feels pretty punk rock to be like i had a fight with my dad at home my big brother (laughs) whatever and i'm gonna go do my own thing that and i do also like it i'm gonna agree with you that is the most punk rock moment and it's also good because earlier in the episode george and joplin talk about fitz having their own database Mm, and right. the research being so much easier for them but and and this kind of comes up again in the next couple of episodes too but how when you actually have to go to the library and have the books and see it all firsthand you get better information and this was a very good demonstration of the easier technology way not being the best way yeah he knows his shit he's a stone cold expert we didn't we didn't talk about the actual translation thing, but that's like a really good moment where Kips is like, oh, we've got our top Aramaic translators on it. And he's like, that's great, but it's Phoenician. So 
It's good. That's not going to work out for you. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like the show is uh, always reluctant to give the team a win, like even more so than the books were. So mm. I do I do like whenever they get a good win. Yeah, this is a solid W. Except yeah. how Barnes messes it up in the end to yeah, be like, it's a tie. Bad. But we already know that Barnes is a useless adult, so. He's the worst. Okay, so if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can uh, at Inferior Caitlin. You can follow the show on Twitter at Lockwood Podcast and enjoy our shenanigans there. <laughs> yeah, there's always something going on. Uh, if you want to reach out with an email, send them to contact at hollowedgroundmedia.com or you can visit our contact page at hollowedgroundmedia.com slash contact. And remember, he'll be unbearable. <laughs>